looked at Job, we've looked at Proverbs, Proverbs, and then we're going to be looking at, there's a bit of an echo. Okay, yeah, thank you. I'm sure you are doing a fantastic job. Can we give the PA people a big hand for what they're doing? Right, uh, do we have the video? No, we don't. So uh, I'm glad that I wrote a bit down. So I wanted you to watch the video, but we don't have it on. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about it, so, which is really good. It means you are going to be reading the Bible with me. Is that okay? Yes. Right, okay. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm sure some of us will have our Bibles here. And in this day of technology, it could be on your iPhone, it could be on your iPad. Make sure you are not texting somebody. Make sure you are not on Facebook. <laughs> right, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. So, the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So there are two people you will see just from that verse. It talks about a teacher. The words of a teacher. So all the things we're going to be reading in Ecclesiastes are the words of a teacher. Now, so many theologians said that teacher is Solomon because he said, son of David, king in Jerusalem. But there was an author. The author is not known. There has been a lot of debate about who actually wrote it. Could it be Solomon himself? But a general consensus is there was an author, but we don't know the author who wrote it. So two people you need to recognize in Ecclesiastes when you are reading that book is one, we have a teacher, the words of the teacher, who used to be a king, the son of David in Jerusalem, and then the author who wrote the words of the teacher. Now, Ecclesiastes in Hebrew is called Ohelet. I, I hope I'm able to pronounce it well. So it just means somebody who gathers people together to learn. So that's why they refer to him as a teacher. Now, if you are like me, I just like sometimes, I, I like to enjoy the Bible. I just take the whole book and read it at once. So if you want to enjoy reading Ecclesiastes, it will take you about 30 minutes. Especially if you are like me, I normally like to write notes while I'm reading. If you read Proverbs, Proverbs will take you about one hour, 30 minutes at a go. Let's, you know, when you're, reading, when you're studying the Bible, Sometimes it's good to just read everything at a go, or you can divide them into sections. But they are not too, if you decide to read a book at a time, sometimes it, it only takes half an hour. You know, sometimes it takes one hour. But let's keep enjoying reading the Word of God. Now, the next thing the Bible talks about is in verse 2 in Ecclesiastes. It says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. How can you introduce a book like that? <laughs> you know, when you want to read a good story, 
a, a, a good book, it will start with a story that would make you to want to go and read the remaining chapters. But this guy started with something that is not too palatable, it's not too good. Everything is meaningless. It's like he concluded that, look, everything I've seen is everything is meaningless. They don't make sense. And he began to, I mean, he went on. In verse 3 it says, what does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generation goes, but the hearts remain the same forever. You know, verse, verse 8. It says, all things are worrisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the hear its feel of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. Hmm. So this teacher said he was going to do a research. He wanted to give himself to study what life is. So when you read that same chapter 1, verse 16, it says, I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. Look at this guy. He said, I decided to give myself to wisdom. And then I left wisdom. I decided to be foolish. <laughs> and I wanted to know what it means to be foolish. He concluded that everything is meaningless. Whether you have wisdom is meaningless. Whether you are foolish, it's also meaningless. He said he gave himself to madness. <laughs> Just to study this life. So let's, let's look at some of the things he said in chapter 2. Are you following me? Good. Verse 1, it says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Did you see the third thing? Look at what this guy did. He said, I gave myself to wisdom. I switched over to foolishness. I switched over to madness. Now I'm switching over to pleasure. <laughs> because Sometimes we just we want wisdom, we want pleasure, we want to enjoy things. This guy said, please listen to me as a teacher. He said he gave himself the pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Did you see his conclusion? He started with everything is meaningless. And he said, I'm concluding that even when I tried all those things, wisdom, madness, folly, and pleasure, that is still also meaningless. He said he gave himself to laughter. I said, it's foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under the heaven during the few days of their lives. See what he said. I undertook, I did a research, I did a survey. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. Look at this guy, he said, I wanted to satisfy myself with this magnificent buildings, decorated with, with gold. 
In fact, when you describe some of the things that was in the palace of Solomon, they were made of gold. If you see his servants, the way they are ordered, the, the, the arrangement in his palace, you know, when Queen, is it Queen Sheba came in, the Bible says her spirit went away from her. She collapsed. She's never seen anything like that. This was a guy who had wisdom and used it to the extreme. You hardly find silver in the palace of Solomon. You hardly find anything made of silver. Just follow me. We are, we are, we are, we are going to, so we're going to land somewhere. Verse 5. I made gardens and parks. Those of you who love gardens and parks. There's nothing wrong with that. But he said, look, my own garden is almost 100 times yours. I wanted to see if I built a magnificent garden. A big, gigantic, large, extravagant garden with all flowers you can talk of in the world. And parks. Wow. And planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. So if you wanted mango, it's there. If you wanted orange, it's there. If you go to his garden, you'll find all sorts of things. You can never go to Solomon's garden and not find what you want. <laughs> can you see this guy? <clears throat> I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Oh, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings' provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. <laughs> you know, it was like Solomon was saying, sometimes, you know, for, for me to wake up, I just wanted 1,000 mass choir for them to wake me up. <laughs> this guy can't, oh. I can't just, you see, I can go on and on and, and on. Verse 10 says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toil to achieve. Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Wow. Chapter 2, verse 24. He now began to say, when you put your heart to doing things this way. Now, one of the, first, the second thing I want you to note when we were reading all these things, you will notice what he did. It was always about I, me, and myself. <laughs> I gave myself to this. I gave myself to this. It was always about himself. I wanted to give myself to pleasure. It was about himself. But you know why I like this church? We are a generous church. We look outward. One of the things that concerns me in our generation is that there is a tendency for everything to be about us. To be about us. 
even when God gave Solomon wisdom. You know, he asked God for wisdom, and there's nothing wrong in getting wisdom. You know what he used his wisdom to do? To marry 1,000 women. So when this guy is talking about, look, do not give yourself to wine and women, he knows what he's saying. He's talking from one th- being in the house with 1,000 women. I don't know how he made the rota to spend time with them. And the Bible says these women, they actually diverted his attention from God after God warned him three times to serve idols. So even wisdom from God, if you don't manage it well, it could actually be meaningless. Wow. So he concluded that in verse 24, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink. Should I quickly say this? A man or a woman can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I say, is from the hand of God. For without him, you can eat or find enjoyment. To the man who pleases him, to the woman who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinners, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless and chasing after the wind. You know, when we summarize what this guy is saying, he's beginning to say that, look, the best thing in life is to fear God. The best thing in life is not to focus on yourself. The best thing in life is not to run after wealth. It's not to run after madness or foolishness or pleasure. Because all these things are meaningless. And even when you get wisdom from God, you need to know how to apply that wisdom. But you see, one of the things I discovered about Ecclesiastes is that when he was talking, he wasn't actually with his experiment. He wasn't really talking about what if God has given him something, what he will give that thing back to God for God to use it for his glory. And that's quite important. You know, I said we're a generous church. I just want to show us two slides. You know, we gathered some money for the bridge in Ketere in February. That was about over 16,000 pounds. We should have a picture there. The bridge is almost, they are nearly completing the bridge. That's down to your generosity. You as a church and all the other sites, we are affecting lives, transforming lives. Over there, they could now take the gospel to many more villages. There's a bit of development around the area. The, the governor in the state are involved now, taking health care actually to the area. Thank God for what we are doing. So I just wanted to chip that in, that we are a generous church. Is that okay? Let's give ourselves another big round of applause. Now, I want to jump to chapter 9. It says something in verse 11. Chapter 9, verse 11. I have seen something under the sun. Do you see this guy? Under the sun. 
This is what happens under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. Do you see the next thing he was saying? I've seen people who have worked so hard, but yet they didn't make it. We live in a world like that. We have seen people who did not do any work at all, and then they made it. So he said, this is also meaningless. You can work so hard, you can read books, and you may not make it. And somebody who is not even doing anything, we stumbled at two million pounds, and all of a sudden he becomes a celebrity. He was talking about this world is complex. There are times I don't understand what is going on. So he was saying, what kind of a world we are living in? The world we are living in is a fallen world. You do everything to make it in life and things doesn't work like that. Whether you are a Christian, whether you are a child of God or not. And that's why he concluded everything is just meaningless. You, good people, they face bad things. Bad people sometimes, they face good things. So he was saying this word is meaningless. So what should we do as Christians? And I'm just so happy with some of the things, some of the songs we sang today. God is for us, he's not against us. When he gives us pleasure, and I want to also <laughs> say something in our generation. I keep saying this. With the amount of what has happened in the area of technology in our world in the past 15 years, I don't know what will happen in the next 10 years. Technology is just sometimes distracting us from everything. We have Facebook, we have Twitter, we, ha we have Instagram, Snapchat, Snapchat. WhatsApp. <laughs> you know, I'm amazed at when you go in a bus, you know, how people are just texting. I'm, I, we're, we're, technology. And how we are enjoying fast, fast, instant, instant things in our world. I understand there is actually a program on TV, Google Box. We watch people watching people watching people. <laughs> At least, normally we should watch television. No. We are watching people watching another program and watching it for us. <laughs> This is the world we live in. Wow. Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. He said, with all this wisdom, a greater than Solomon is here. <laughs> this is what gives me a great comfort. With everything he has said, the son of David... He was a king in Jerusalem. 
with everything he has concluded, Jesus says, look, I have come and I'm greater than Solomon. So let's hear somebody who is greater than Solomon. Should we not work hard? Should we not enjoy the things God has given us? How did Jesus undo splendor, glory, and, and, and everything in the world? Because he said, I am greater than Solomon. So let's hear what Jesus says. Is that okay? All right. Let's look at Matthew. Matthew. Chapter 4. You know the story of how Jesus was tempted, isn't it? So in verse 5, Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, he said to him, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus answered, it is also written. Did you see what Jesus said? The first thing you said, that was your perspective. That is true. But you have not brought a balance to life. You have not brought a balance to that scripture. It is also written. You know one of the things I want to say, how do we manage the glory, the gift, the, 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 the grace of God upon our life? It's always aligning it to the word of God. To the will of God. That when things come, it's not that we can't enjoy them. What does the word of God say about it? So let's see what Jesus said. He says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him, please, let's hear the conclusion of the devil. Sometimes it's good to hear what the devil is saying. Look at what he said. He showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor. All this, look at what he said. All this I will give you. He said, this is how the devil deceives a lot of people. He said, all these things, I'm going to give them to you. If you will bow down and worship me. I was wondering, he said, all these things I will give to you. How many people has he given all those things to? All the splendors and all the glory of the world. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. That's how to handle the issues in this world. When it comes to the glory, the splendor, the gift of God upon our lives, the blessings of God on our lives, goods, they should be behind us. They are not the things we should be pursuing. They are not the things they should be behind us to enjoy. So you will hear the word of God says, surely, goodness and mercy, they are meant to follow us. As we start, look at what Jesus said. Hear the word Jesus said, used. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. That is the right perspective in life. 
those things are meant to be behind us. While we pursue God, while we pursue his will, that is what should happen. So Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what will happen? All these things, all these things will be added unto you. That's the right thing to pursue. That's the word of Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Anything God has given you, enjoy what God has given you. But let them be behind you, not what you are pursuing. Pursue God. And when Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, you know what I discovered? This kingdom of God doesn't pursue you. You have to seek it. It doesn't run after you. You have to be intentional about it. First, before any other thing. You see, that's why I like Jesus. When he said first, before any other thing. And everything you are looking for, that is necessary for you, it will be added unto you. Goodness and mercy will follow you. So you can live a meaningful life in Christ. Rosie, when you were singing that song, I was so happy. Oh, we want. All I need is found in Jesus. That's the correct perspective to life. Now, this guy in Ecclesiastes made a conclusion, and I want to conclude with that, with one other verse. And I want us to pray together. Let me tell you the prayer so that you are thinking. I want you to pray that God, I don't want to pursue smoke. I don't want to pursue vapor. I don't want to pursue vanity. I don't want to pursue anything that is meaningless. I want, to, I, I, I want my life to count. I want to pursue you. Knowing that every other thing will be added unto me. That's a prayer to pray. When I was young, I think I still pray that sometimes now. I used to pray, God, don't let me go too far in my mistakes. Pull me. Pull my ears. Don't let me go too far in my mistake. And I, 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 there was the biggest experience I had. My wife and myself, 18 years ago, we were going to London. We were going on M6, M56. I was supposed to make an exit. I don't know whether I was looking away. I just kept on going. My wife said, we're going too far. I think we have missed the way. I said, don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> we kept going. By the time I saw the next sign, we were in Wales. <laughs> ah, you know, I, I, it was a big lesson for me. God, I wasted extra two hours. And there's nothing to join me to, to London. So I have to go back another one hour. I wasted my energy, my concentration, fuel, and then I just began my journey to London. That's why I keep praying to God. Don't let me go too far in my mistakes. Even if I'm enjoying it. Pull my hairs back. Ecclesiastes 12. 
Verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. <coughs> fear God. The fear of God, what it just means is you love God so much, you don't want to do anything that will offend him. Fear God, keep his commandment. For this is the old duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. You know, all these meaningless things in life. God, you know, a day is coming when God will bring everything to judgment. And then we get to a place where there is no more tears. No more sorrow. Everything will make meaning in life. So a day of judgment is coming. Including every hidden things, whether it is good or evil. You know, one of the things I want us to do, I want us to get into groups in two minutes. Please, let's do that. And pray, let's pray for ourselves. That God, I don't want to pursue vapor. I don't want to pursue vanity. I want to pursue you. Because you are the one that has the word of life. Can we do that? So let's give ourselves two minutes to do that. Is that okay? Please let's go into a group of five, six, seven. People in a group. And let's pray for each other. Six, seven. Lord Jesus, you said in your word that no eye has seen, no ear has no mind has conceived what you have prepared for those who love you. But you have revealed them to us by your spirit. Thank you because your spirit leads us. Your spirit will guide us. The teacher wrote in Ecclesiastes that he has seen something under the sun. But thank you because we can set our eyes on things above. The Bible says the wisdom that is from above is pure, is peaceable. That's what we set our eyes on. Lord God, we say we, 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 we make up our mind. We have chosen to pursue you, to seek you, not to pursue vapor, not to pursue vanity in life. Lord God, we ask your Holy Spirit, according to your word, to help us to lead us, to reveal Jesus to us, to reveal those things we need to give priorities to in life. Thank you, Jesus. Of course, you've given us everything to enjoy, your goodness and your mercy, but we say we put them behind us. They follow us. They are not the things we pursue. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.